You know, friends, um, can I just level with you? Every now and then, there's a message uh, that I'm preparing to preach. And in my heart of hearts, I have this thought about that message that everybody's going to listen politely. Uh, Nobody's going to be staring out of the window or repeatedly looking at their phones. (laughs) But some messages are just so difficult to apply. Some messages, some teaching in scripture just seems like an uphill climb. It just seems like we're swimming against the tide in culture. And I have that feeling about the message today. But you know, at the same time, uh, there are also messages that I feel like um, are particularly needful And it's almost like if we all had a disease and a doctor came to the door and knocked on the door and said, hey, I have a cure for the disease, if you'll just take it. But there's so many things, I think, even in the church, where we know we have the disease and we know we need the cure, but it is just so difficult to take it. So the message today is one that I think you'll agree as you hear about it. Yeah, you'll say, uh, I would be a lot happier, I'd be a lot healthier, I'd be a lot more whole if I took that message to heart. But I just want to warn you, uh, today's message, I think, is really, really challenging. So if you've been around for a while, some of you will know that we're in our series called Spiritual Training. And we're introducing you to spiritual practices. Now, these are age-old practices by which Christians grow in Christ's likeness. And the goal of the series is that we would experiment. These are just an introduction to the practices, and it would be wonderful. And maybe one day we'll spend a month or a whole quarter on each practice. But we're hoping that just with this brief introduction... Uh, to each one in this summer series, that you will go away and you will experiment with them and that you will install them in your life, either daily, weekly, or periodically. The thing is uh, that in the Christian life, we know that we don't earn God's favor, but we know that we need to make efforts to grow in the Christian life. So the ancients in Christianity called it having a rule of life. And a rule of life uh, is simply a regimen. And so we order our lives and we do physical training often during our days. We take walks, we go to the gym. All we're talking about is wouldn't it be wise to apply the same intention to our spiritual training? And so I'm hoping that you will begin to, maybe you'll commit this to paper, but maybe you'll begin to sort of catalog and you'll be able to begin to install and you'll say, I'm experimenting with some of these disciplines and I'm going to install them in my daily and weekly routine. And by that, I will grow in the Christian life. So today we're looking at the spiritual practice of observing um, the Sabbath day. This is when Christians stop their work on Sunday and use it instead for rest and worship. And if you're like Lisa and me, there's somebody in your household that's a lot better at the Sabbath rest, and I wanted to show you who's best at the Sabbath rest in my family. (laughs) 
this is our dog, Sammy, and Sammy has no problem. Sammy has ceased work. This may be Sammy in his prayer posture. I'm not really sure. But all joking aside, uh, I feel like the reason I say this is so challenging is some of you are thinking, I cannot think of any concept that is so quaint and outmoded. Some of you are thinking, uh, I have got so much to do, and that's always the case. And on Sunday afternoons, I've got to go home, and I've got emails to return, and I've got errands to run, and I've got to get ready for the week, and nothing stops. And some of you, uh, maybe who are parents of young children, might say, no, so what planet are you on if you're thinking that, you know, any uh, like parent of young children would have any hope of stopping? Well, uh, we Americans love to boast about how much work we do, and productive work is like a drug. And the message we hear loudly and clearly from culture and in our own souls is go harder, I, I mean go faster, try harder, do more, and by all means, don't stop. And so we're exhausted, and yet none of us knows how to step out of the dance. And increasingly, we're paying the price. So we're the most anxious age ever. We're distracted. We can't focus. We've lost the art of, art of reflection. And above all, many of us would identify with not being able to stop. And so we're looking at this thing today, the observing the Sabbath day. And what I want to do is ask you to turn in your Bibles or your worship gods to Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. This is a reading that is part of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Friends, this is God's word. It, was given, it is given to you in love. Hear the word of the Lord. The author writes, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, there's sometimes, there's some moments in Scripture where we come there and we have to be saved from familiarity. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I've heard that passage. I've heard it a lot. But we have to be saved from the familiarity of it. It has to be able to address us freshly. So what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through uh, this text and we're going to reference a few others. And we're going to discern in the scripture three principles for applying Sabbath practice. And I'm also going to make some suggestions for practices to apply those principles. 
So the first principle is this. Ceasing whatever, uh, one of the principles of Sabbath observance is this. Ceasing whatever constitutes work for us the other six days of the week. Now for all of us, this will be different. But if you look back at the reading, verse 12, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. There's some important words here. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. So the word Sabbath, some of you know, is from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally means ceasing. So again, a lot of us find it very hard just to stop. A lot of us are a little lost when we stop or we get depressed when we stop. And maybe we should ask ourselves, is work the addiction Americans love to applaud? Have we made an idol out of exhaustion? So the thing to notice is this is a commandment. And I don't know how you relate to commandments, but we don't make any of the other of the Ten Commandments optional. Do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery. But somehow when we come to this one, it seems like we can opt in or opt out of it. And two, in the New Testament, Jesus didn't repeal the Sabbath commandment. He didn't abrogate, cancel, or annul the Sabbath. What Jesus did was take away the punishment for failing to keep the Sabbath. So no longer will you die for failing to keep the Sabbath. See, also in your worship guide, Mark 2.27, in Mark 2.27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's wanting to make the Sabbath a blessing, not a burden. So the first step in observing the Sabbath is just ceasing. It's stopping whatever constitutes work for you the other six days of the week. So I'm going to make a few suggestions for you, but the idea is not to be prescriptive, but only descriptive of some of the things that you might try. So maybe for ceasing, uh, you would take a break from technology. Maybe you would stop, at, you would not check work emails or do work tasks on a Sunday. Maybe you don't do laundry or yard work or errands. Maybe you cook ahead or eat leftovers that day. Maybe you choose not to participate in some cultural activities like organized sports if they feel like work. See, you have to understand, uh, Christians, part of this here is Christians are called to be holy, different. And we're going to be swimming upstream if we commit, if we move with intention into any of these practices. It's very, very difficult to do in our culture today and given the state of our own hearts. Well, this is the first principle is uh, can we come to grips with just stopping, stopping for a 24-hour period? That's the essence of the Sabbath. Well, the second principle is resting and delighting in God's gifts. So the Sabbath didn't start with the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It started in creation. And if you look in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, you find this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And by the way, I want you just to notice that word construction. He finished the work that he had been doing. 
the grammar is ongoing. So had God created all the varieties of birds or fish or flowers that he could create? No. The idea here is he simply stopped. He stopped midstream. And it's a very important principle for practicing Sabbath. Most of the time we say, there's no way I'm going to practice any kind of Sabbath because I'm never finished. Right? Uh, Jesus, Jesus wasn't finished either when he had to look one sick person in the eye and say, I'm finished healing today. And God hadn't finished all the creating he could have done. He merely stopped midstream. And so that's an important thing to note. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he, and here's the important word, rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, see it's a blessing, not a burden, and made it holy, important word, because on it he, here's that word again, rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So this whole thing uh, is challenging us. Sometimes we think, oh, well, as Christians, we blend in. But in fact, uh, Christians have always meant to be distinct. The notion of being holy is that we're different than everybody else. We stand out. You can sort of picture a crowd and uh, maybe the mass society in the world is like everybody on a busy city street and everybody is walking in one direction and Christians are walking back, you know, bumping into e e uh, people, walking um, against the grain. And that's the idea here. So God's people are meant to be holy. They're meant to image God himself. So it says God rested on the seventh day. But the context is more than cessation of work. The idea gets at delighting in. It gets at what we enjoy. Now, many Jewish commentators suggest God created menuha on the seventh day. And the idea is that menuha is more than relaxation. Rabbi Abraham Heschel suggests it's literally, or not literally, but it's prefiguring a return to Eden and a preview of the new heavens and the new earth. So back over to Deuteronomy, verse 15, the author writes, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So another reason we don't stop is we feel like we never have permission to enjoy God's creation. So Eugene Peterson writes, the Deuteronomy reason for Sabbath keeping is that our ancestors in Egypt went for 400 years without a vacation, never a day off. The consequence, they were no longer considered persons but slaves. They were hands, work units, not persons created in the image of God, but equipment for making bricks and building pyramids. Humanity was defaced. That last phrase really gets me. Have you ever thought of the possibility that when we go 24-7 nonstop, that we are actually participating in humanity being defaced? We were made to image God himself who rested on the seventh day. And so maybe we need um, per permission giving here. The second step is resting and delighting in God's gifts. So again, not to be prescriptive, but more descriptive, you might nap or enjoy a good movie on the Sabbath day. You might lull about the house, take a walk and notice nature. 
Enjoy encountering the Lord through corporate worship, Bible reading, and prayer. You might dabble in poetry, painting, or some creative activity. You know, Lisa and I have joined an outdoor pool, and we like to go and swim laps. But occasionally, I'll do a Sabbath activity, which is basically just playing in the pool. I love to do handstands, and I love to do sort of spin and do flips and lay on the bottom and just feel the water as I push off the wall. But for me, that's create that's Sabbath creativity. It's just enjoying the creation that God has given. And some of us uh, never knew that we were permitted to enjoy the creation that God has given. So Tilden Edwards writes, Sabbath is a time for useless poetry and other arts, a time to appreciate a tree, your neighbor, and yourself without doing something to them, a time to praise God as an end in itself. Dan Allender writes, what would you do for 24 hours if the only criteria were to pursue your deepest joy? What intrigues, amazes, tickles your fancy, delights your senses, and casts you into an entirely new and unlimited world is the raw material of Sabbath. And so some of you are thinking again, Nelson, what planet are you from? We live in the world, and you've got to go home, and you've got things to do this afternoon, and you've got kids who have needs, and you've got other people that you've made plans with, and you've got work emails screaming at you. The point is that uh, this one, more than, more than any others, really, if we're going to commit to it and we're going to learn, we're going to have to do it together. It's just too hard otherwise. So ceasing, resting, the last principle for Sabbath practice, and this is the big one. This is the big kahuna in my mind. And so if you have heard nothing else in today's message, I'd love you to hear this. The last principle for Sabbath practice is trusting in God's activity and not our own. So back to verse 13 in Deuteronomy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath rest to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, even Sammy nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. I think that the author is cueing us that the Sabbath practice is communal. Now, a lot of times we'll make, we, we always arc in the current age to being individualistic. But it's very difficult to practice Sabbath solo. So here it says, practice it with your son and daughter. Uh, or if you're single, Practice it with your friend group. I would love it if home groups, maybe in this church, began to have conversations about how they might together experiment with Sabbath practice. It's going to take that because it's just too hard to swim upstream alone. And I promise you, I've had some experiences with this. If you try to cultivate Sabbath practice alone, people are going to shame you, resent you, dismiss you, and push you to make exceptions. And so we need to be doing it um, in community. We need to be doing it in uh, mass as a block. It's also a reason that as best as possible, uh, we should all practice the Sabbath on the same day, namely Sunday. Now, here again, uh, there are a lot of us that find that difficult. And I'm well aware 
that there are some industries, hospital workers, first responders, who work on Sundays. Um, I have a job where I work on Sunday. <laughs> and real estate agents. But the thing is, we may have to do some adaptations, and we may have to do a portion of another day. But I think the thing is meant to be communal. I, these are a lot of words. There are more words in the Ten Commandments to this fourth one than any other. Why would so many words be devoted to the communal aspect of it? Part of it is that the whole thing is looking forward to when the whole earth will demonstrate the Sabbath rest. And so when we do it, we do it together, and we do it as a preview of God's redemption. So on it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter. And then this part, nor your manservant or maidservant. See, very few of us associate uh, Sabbath-keeping with justice. And Dan Postuma writes, When no one is working, it's hard to tell the difference between them by their achievements. They are equal as image-bearers of God. Have you ever thought about that? There's a beautiful sense of justice in the world when we all practice the Sabbath together. And this is why some people choose not to eat out on Sunday, requiring workers in the food service industry to work. I'm not saying you've got to do that. If you've got plans for going out to lunch today, keep them. I may be going out to lunch today. A lot of this is we have to begin to plan it. And it's not meant to be, again, prescriptive, but descriptive. And we are meant to begin to take seriously what it means to image God in the Sabbath rest. So this is the part I want you to see. And this is, I'm going to throw this up on the screen. Uh, it's the most important part to me. It's verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and then this part, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. See, the practices are always meant to cultivate something in your relationship with God. With solitude, it, we're listening to the Father. With simplicity, we're learning to trust God with how much is enough. And with practicing the Sabbath, we're learning to trust in God's activity and not our own. So this is so important. The Sabbath celebrates, the writer says, God's rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So he's talking about something about God. He is saying God, God's mighty hand shows that he is able. His outstretched arm shows that he is engaged and active. And see, the default, and the reason that we work so hard, is we think we have to do it ourselves. It's the orphan mentality. We think we have to secure our lives and give our lives dignity and meaning. And so we work 24-7 because underneath that, we're saying, who will save us? And so the Sabbath practice is this countercultural expression that we have a deliverer now. See, grace always precedes, and the Sabbath rest expresses that we know our work can't save us. And so on one day a week, when we take our hands off our productive work and the things we worry about, we are enacting 
our trust in God's prior and primary activity, which is true the other six days of the week as well. Do you see that? And in the New Testament, over in Hebrews 4, it says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, he's, the, the context is uh, that you have a great high priest now. Jesus Christ became our intermediary, which is what priests do. On the cross, he stood in our place. He took our punishment for sin. And so we, we worry. Uh, maybe we're all alone, and so we've got to work 24-7 because nobody's going to look out for us. And the scripture comes along and says, no, you have a deliverer now. You have a rescuer. And our Sabbath rest is a demonstration of the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing. So this whole idea of trusting in God's activity and not your own, it's probably the thing I've experimented most with in my Sabbath practice. So many of you have pressing things this afternoon. I know you do. And many of them are work things. And some of you have got to get on your computers and get going on some work this afternoon because you just got to keep up. I know about that. But here's the thing. And I think God was trying to teach the Israelites this with the manna in the desert. The disciplines and the practices, you have to experiment with them to experience the benefit. And this is a type of thing that has been my experience. I can remember, I had a, a few years ago, I had a small part in the baccalaureate service at Godwin High School. And the service was the day after the Sabbath. And so everything in me, you know, I'd worked on it some, but everything in me wanted to work all Sabbath afternoon and just work on that talk so that I wouldn't have so much pressure on the day the next day. But what I did instead was I said, I'm going to take my hands off. And every time I thought about it, I just in prayer said, Lord, I'm trusting that to you. I'm entrusting that talk to you. And this is what we do with whatever we think we have to do on the Sabbath day. See, so much of what we worry about relates to our work. Maybe your work relates to your family. But so much of what we worry about relates to what we give ourselves to most on the six days of the week. But on the Sabbath, we take our hands off and we say, I'm going to actively entrust that to the Lord. And so it's a, what's happening here is you're building trust muscles. What's the fruit of the Sabbath? Is you're building your ability to trust God in a way that then helps you the other six days of the week. But when you take your hands off, that's a different experience of trusting God than when you're trusting God at the same time you're working on your stuff. Do you see the difference? But if you take your hands off completely and you're trusting God, then that's a different layer. It's a different level of building trust. So I decided that I wasn't going to work on this talk for the Godwin Baccalaureate on the Sabbath at all. And so I got up that morning and I just prayed and I sort of opened my hands. And what I would say to you is that the Spirit poured into me what I needed for that speech. The Spirit just poured into me. 
And so this is some of what we have to do. We just, you know, listen, we have to plan. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying you do that this afternoon if you really haven't planned for this. But we'll always end up with stuff we got to do on the Sabbath. It'll always be ceasing midstream. And what is the coolest part of it is when we enact our trust in God with the things that worry us most on the Sabbath day. So this is the thing. Uh, the section closes. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So there's so much we have to work out here. We have to work out things on a personal level, on a church level, how we'll operate if we're going to really take this seriously. But I want to just give us a place to start. If you look in your worship guide, you'll see uh, in the back there's a card that we prepared for you. Do you see the card? And it says Sabbath observance. And it's in the form of a bookmark. And the idea is that you would take it home and you would stick it in your Bible or book you're reading. And the, I'd like you to do two things today. The first is, I'd like you to have a conversation with someone in your world about your intended Sabbath practice for each of the last two Sundays in June, June 18th and June 25th. Now listen, it's not easy. In the beginning, some of us are going to be depressed. Some of us are lost without work to do. We have no idea what to do in, in its place. Uh, we have to plan for it. Uh, if we're going to eat leftovers, uh, we have to be cooking on Saturday. Uh, you have to plan for this. You have to grow into it. It's all about building spiritual muscles. That's the spiritual training. But I'd love to invite you just to take this card home and have a conversation with somebody in your world, somebody in your household, somebody in your friend group about a practice that you can try together over the next two weeks. Second, I want you just to identify something that, some task that you feel like you must do this afternoon or something that you worry about. And I want you to say, if it is, seems possible to you, could you take your hands off of that this afternoon? And every time you're tempted to obsess about it, which is what we do, we wring our hands. Instead of obsessing about it, instead of pulling out your computer, just bow your head in prayer and say, Lord, I'm going to trust that thing to you. And so here, listen, we trust. The Lord doesn't slumber or sleep. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We trust that he is active even when we're not. And it's a beautiful thing when we wake up on Monday morning and we see that we have taken a risk, we've taken a step, and we begin to see what the Lord was doing in the hidden places in the background. So those two things, will you have a conversation with somebody and will you actively trust the Lord, take your hands off and entrust to God's activity and not your own, something that you feel like you need to do yourself. In 1 Peter, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So, friends, I said, you know, this thing is mammoth. If we're going to take it seriously, we've got to work out as a church what we do uh, in an organized way on Sunday afternoons. 
uh, we're going to have to figure out some other things. But we also are realizing this is a command, and it's not optional. And it's also so needed in our present age. And so maybe together, maybe just maybe, we can take the Sabbath challenge. Maybe just maybe together, with the Spirit's help, we can take some risks, and we can begin to find our way together. Let's pray. Father, we uh, don't always understand, but in our best moments, we don't question your wisdom. We trust that Scripture was given not just for an earlier age, but our age. And we pray uh, that we could become your stink people, your holy people. And we pray uh, that you would simply show us the way as an expression of grace, as as a response to your grace. Help us not to uh, default into legalism. We pray somehow that you would lead us in freedom and you would lead us in joy. Lead us as a church, Holy Spirit. Sanctify us together. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You're welcome to stay seated or stand, whatever is comfortable for you, but please join us in singing Blessed Assurance.